So I heard that you have been doing something extremely boring. <laughs> so it has been, I mean, for those who don't know, we have been under lockdown for a month, literally exactly a month as of today. Yes. You know, no one's calling it lockdown per se, but it is for all Heightened intents and purposes. Alert. Lockdown. I mean, it's, you know, by any <laughs> other name, right? Yep. We're discouraged from leaving the house, although you can. And I have, uh, you know, genuinely avoided leaving the house. I do not have access to the lab where I usually do my work. So I've had to put a lot of my other research pursuits on hold because of this return to some kind of lockdown. I mean, it's an interesting approach to lockdown, actually, because the measures themselves, they are kind of soft, but the result is that nobody's going out, right? Yeah. Because what the measures actually are, are no dining out, no working from the office unless you have no choice, right? Or no working from your workplace unless your job demands it. Demands it meaning like you work in a hospital, you work in a store, that kind of thing. Yes. And... And the other thing no is no more than two people together yeah, at a time. I think yeah. it's a very important stipulation. Correct. So it's not a lockdown like like what they had in the Italy. The first one. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. Way back when, which was I say way back when is actually only last year. But <laughs> oh my god. But during the height of Italy's COVID outbreak, right? Yeah. Their version was more like you do not leave the house, except like one person can go out daily to go to the grocery store, that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, I think the most severe yeah. lockdowns would have been either China's or Australia's. So I think Australia's one was you cannot move beyond a five kilometer radius of your house, which right. was, holy shit. And then China yeah. was like, you can't even leave your house, right? Food will be placed yeah, at your door. Yeah. So in any case, right, I think for many people during lockdown, lockdown was a time for them to explore new pursuits. <laughs> I see it as a time for selling old scores. <laughs> Okay. Or in my case, cleaning up old data sets, right? Because I've been doing research for, I mean, good God, we are 32 years old this year. I've been doing research for quite a substantial amount of time. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of data sets collecting dust that need to be dusted off and published. And this dead bird thing is something that I've been working on for a long, long time. And I figured now is a good time to get it out of the way. Right. Right. And so, in fact, I did this over the last semester. I, I did a class on... GIS, Geographical Information Systems, how to do modeling mm-hmm. with maps. And so I actually wrote a draft of this analysis already. Right, okay. Right. And so I figured, look, if I'm going to do a paper on this, I should do a proper bang-up job and make it something that's really publishable. Okay. And so and what I'm trying to do essentially is to model, right? And we've talked about modeling a lot in this podcast. Yeah. Right, so yep. create a model of what aspects of cities contribute towards bird building collisions. And there's lots of possible factors. It could be, for example, vegetation density. It could be building density. It could be building size, building perimeter. could be light pollution. Mm -hmm. But I think the one big factor that a lot of people would naturally associate is building height. Now, it's easy to say, yeah, building height, but... And one of the big problems is building height, I think, among all the other variables that define a city, is one of the most difficult parameters or variables to quantify at a city scale. At a city scale, okay. At a city scale. For various reasons. I mean, if I wanted to know like the height of, say, Republic Plaza, 
I can go to Wikipedia and it will have the height of Republic Plaza because it is one of the tallest buildings in Singapore. So just to clarify what you're saying is finding the height of an individual building is not exactly trivial, but it's straightforward. Yes. But, okay. I mean, uh-huh. there's a few things, right? For really extremely tall buildings, okay. there will be published height data because yes. it's something to be proud of. Right. right, the tallest building in Singapore, second tallest building, and so on and so forth. If I needed to know the height of just one building, I could either use some kind of approximation method. We learn in primary school the thumb method or the, the hat, the hat and eye line method, right? Using some simple trigonometry yep. to estimate the height of, you know, using similar triangles or whatever, right? Or I could go and buy a golf range finder, which costs about $200. Okay. Right? Which uses a laser beam and calculates the reflection time of the laser beam to estimate the height right, or the okay. distance. Right, distance right. and then using simple trigonometry Trigo, to estimate yeah. height. Yeah, yeah, right? For one building, that's fairly straightforward. For maybe two to five buildings, that's straightforward. Singapore uh-huh. has about 109,000 buildings. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Great. So getting height data for all 109,000 buildings is not a trivial thing, right? And I mean... This is one of the big problems and it's one of the reasons why many sort of um, studies that have tried to address this problem have tended to be on very small scales, like 1 to 21 buildings. Okay. <laughs> no study has looked at 100,000 buildings at one go. Precisely because when you scale things up to the city scale, the magnitude of the data that you need is immense. So I was faced with a problem. I wanted to do this at a city scale. Okay. Because I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. But yeah, go on. <laughs> I wasn't expecting such, you know, lack of pushback, but okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the idea was, you know, okay, how am I going to generate a map of building heights across mm-hmm. Singapore? And there's a few ways of doing this, right? And to be fair, I'm not the first person to think about this problem. Right. So the government has data on building heights. Okay. Unfortunately, the government being the government, they don't want to share data. So, but essentially how the government has done things is by using LIDAR. LIDAR, I think, is something that people are increasingly becoming aware of. It's even now in your iPhones and iPads. Yeah. I'm using an older model iPhone, so I don't have a LIDAR function on my phone. But uh-huh. I think the newest iPhone models, iPhone 12 and latest iPhone, think- uh, iPad Pros, it's the All very, very highest end. Yes. Because I think the iPad yeah. Pro 12-inch has LiDAR. I don't know about 11. And mm, I think the right. iPhone 12 Pro has LiDAR, but I don't think... I'm not even sure if the 12 Pro has it. I mm-hmm. would assume the 12 Pro Max has it. But yeah, I don't think down the line they have LiDAR. It's, it's really reserved for the very highest end. Yeah. And I mean, LiDAR is also creeping into the public consciousness because of self-driving cars. Right. So, I mean, essentially what LiDAR is, it's like radar. Radar uses, I think, microwaves, right? And you send a microwave beam. In the case of radar, you send a microwave beam and it bounces back from an object in the sky. And that's how you you detect if something is in the sky. That's radar, right? LiDAR is a very similar concept. It's that you emit a laser beam. And this laser beam can be in the visible light range, ultraviolet light range, or infrared range, right? So, you know, flanking either end of the visible light range. And then you measure the time it takes for the beam to reflect off an object and that tells you the distance, right? So in self-driving cars, it's really, really powerful technology because it allows you to detect if there is an object in front of the car, right? And to generate a sort of a immediate model of your surroundings, which the car can then yeah. use to navigate, 
and implements a kind of avoidance detection algorithms. In the case, actually, I'm not even sure why the iPhone has LiDAR. What is the use case of LiDAR on iPhones? I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I mean I've okay. seen some people use it to like generate models, 3D, 3D models of their room, I Here's guess, for my theory, right? This theory comes from listening to lots of Apple-related podcasts. Mm-hmm. In and of itself, I don't think right now the LiDAR has a functional purpose. But <laughs> I think there's a lot of smoke around Apple trying to release something AR or VR related, right? And I think part of it is just that as they are developing this AR or VR product in-house, right? They are gaining certain hardware capabilities and they're just like, you know what? Let's just put it into the iPad, right? or the iPhone, and firstly, maybe some insane developer will think of something to do with it. And secondly, the other thing is just, you know, it's ready, right? The AR VR project is not ready, but this portion of it is ready. Let's just release it. Fair enough. Yeah, that's the current kind of hypothesis about why this hardware has LiDAR. I mean, so LiDAR has tons of users and different sensitivities, right? Like, I mean, essentially anything that uses a laser to bounce something off an object to measure distance between the sensor and the object is a form of LiDAR. So even things like laser microscopes are a right. form of LiDAR, right? Because you're essentially using photons and you're measuring the, the time between emission and detection as a way of measuring how far away something is from your from your sensor or from your emitter. And therefore, you can use it to model extremely sort of fine microscopic surfaces, right? So at the city scale, in order to get a city-wide landscape of building heights, what you can do is you can put a LiDAR scanner on a plane or helicopter and then fly it across Singapore in strips. Uh, Fly it across the city in strips in a grid fashion and then use the data you collect from the laser beam reflecting off the tops of buildings to reconstruct the 3D model of the city. Right. And that's a very powerful thing you can do. But Singapore being Singapore, right, the only organization here that has done this is the military. <laughs> and that means the data is inherently classified. Yeah, okay. Which is very annoying. Right. Okay. So that's one way of getting building heights across the city. And you know, LIDAR can even be used. I mean, one of the powerful things about LIDAR is because you're not restricted to one band of of, of radiation, you can, for example, use a radiation from spectra that, for example, can penetrate plants, right? So okay. if, say, in this, this has been used in archaeological digs, right. right? Because when you have vegetation covered, it obscures ground-level features and you know, subtle right, topographic right, changes right. in the ground. If you use a radiation wavelength that right. is able to penetrate leaf and tree cover, you can scan areas which are densely forested and pick up subtle ground-level changes which could right. be indicative of structures, okay. overgrown buildings, which is extremely powerful. That actually explains it because I a while ago I saw a report about how some scientists had basically found an archaeological site. I don't remember where, but it would have been a Mayan I believe, a Mayan archaeological site. Mayan Aztec, I think, yeah. Yeah, and they had pictures of what their imaging looked like. And I was like, how the hell do you even do that? I mean, it looks like an X-ray of the ground, basically. Yes. Yeah. And that, okay, I think I found the article. It's from Ars Technica 2020. Okay, I'm putting it in the show notes. But yes, so LIDAR is a very powerful way of imaging things, 
right? And obviously, I can't take an iPhone 12 Pro and then just walk around Singapore and get LiDAR imagery of all buildings. Partly because, number one, the LiDAR sensor, or the LiDAR emitter, I would say, on an iPhone is not powerful enough probably to, to, to go all the way up the tops of buildings. It will yep. allow me to... to to create imagery for maybe within, say, a 10-meter... I mean, this is just putting numbers out of my ass for a 10-meter, 20-meter radius around me. But beyond that, it will lose sensitivity. Right? And of course, it's a question of how much data I am generating at that resolution <laughs> and whether or not it's even feasible. Which would also make sense because if Apple's immediate priority is an AR or VR project, mm-hmm. you really only need enough power to image a room. So Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, at least within line of sight, something that yeah, yeah. something's within, yeah. within immediate line of sight, right? Before scattering becomes an issue. So lidar is emerging; it's becoming more ubiquitous. But unfortunately, I can't use lidar data at least at least in its raw form, right? So the other way of doing this, and this is something that another research group has done, right? Uh-huh. From I think the Future Cities Lab at NUS, is to take advantage of the fact that satellites are orbiting around Earth all the time and taking pictures of Earth. And so what they've done is they've taken satellite imagery from two different look angles. So when a satellite passes over Earth, it passes over Singapore and takes a photo of Singapore, it's not always pointing straight down. I mean, the Earth is spherical, so it's impossible for it to be pointing exactly straight down at every point on the surface anyway. It's always coming at an angle. (laughs) Technically, the Earth is very slightly elliptical. Yes, obliquely spheroid. Yes. Okay, go on. So in any case, there will be a certain look angle associated with an image captured by a satellite. And there, there are algorithms to correct for this, right? Distortion, right. correcting algorithms. But if I take two images captured at almost the same time from two different angles, right? Taller buildings right. will deflect much more than shorter buildings. Yeah, makes sense. And then if I know the difference in angle between the images, and this is math that I obviously haven't done, but in general, if I know the the difference in angle between the two satellite look look angles, and I compare this against the deflection of the building, I can then use that to reconstruct the height of the building, right? So this is what a research team at NUS did. I wrote to them to ask for the data, and they ghosted me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they never replied. So not even ghosted. They just didn't even bother to reply. I mean, no, that's what ghosted means. So Yeah, I guess. But you know, there, there are many reasons why this could be the case, right? I suspect this is because it's possible the data is sensitive. Uh-huh. Similar to why SLA or the government would not share their LiDAR data. It may be that the data might be sensitive because you know any kind of satellite imagery is essentially imagery intelligence, right? It's Right. <laughs> yeah. The other possibility, and this is not you know not mutually exclusive, is that satellite imagery is expensive. We're very used to Google Earth these days, and you know, good God, how did we survive without Google Earth? What four, five, six, ten years ago? I don't know. I mean, when when Google Earth first <laughs> came out, I mean, it was cool, but it was also utterly insane. It was clunky as shit. No, I mean, I'm not talking about the clunkiness, right? I'm just talking about the fact that private company would bother to do something like that. It's like, why? (laughs) That's true. And so Google Earth buys their data from various sources and different satellites have obviously different resolutions, right? So I think initially one of the key providers was Landsat. Landsat's free. It's run by NASA. Landsat has a resolution of about 30 meters. So not great. (laughs) Right. So 30 meters would be... Each pixel is 30 meters by 30 meters. Right. Okay. Beyond that, you lose. There's there's no resolution. 
There's no further data beyond that scale, right? That's pretty bad. It's bad. Yeah, that's yeah. bad. But then, you know, obviously, if you're not zoomed in all the way, 30 meters per zoom, perfectly fine, right? So what Google Maps does is actually, as you zoom in, it replaces the imagery with higher resolution imagery. And unfortunately, you know, because, and this is something that we know from, from setting cameras, right? The higher your resolution, the smaller your actual image, uh, the effective size of the image actually is, right? Because if you want to capture a high resolution image, you cannot have super wide. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not you, explaining this correctly. You but, have a trade-off yeah. basically. You know, if your There's image size yeah. is fixed, then a higher resolution means you capture a smaller area. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So... I think for higher resolution imagery, they would have used things like Spot. I think Spot has a resolution of five meters. It's a French satellite system, commercial okay. satellite. And one Spot image, last I checked, costs about four to five thousand Singapore dollars. <laughs> so it's not cheap. Right? Okay. And then for the super high resolution, I think to about one meter resolution, they're getting Digital Globe, which is another commercial satellite okay. uh, provider, imagery provider. Okay. So, right. You can see how expensive satellite imagery can be. If I yeah. even if I bought data from Spot, right, for two different look angles, that's ten thousand dollars. Ching. Yeah, <laughs> and then I mean, you, you can kind of work it out, right? Like, it's a one meter by one meter, and you want to cover the area of Singapore. That would be mm-hmm. something like I can't I can't even do this math on the fly. So you'll be I looking at like what's the width and height of Singapore. I do okay. Remember. Let's say it's like let's say it's like thirty by thirty, which is which is not exact, but decent enough estimate. You're looking at 30,000 by 30,000, right? <laughs> Times two. So never mind. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know what the size of the tiles of the individual digital globe tiles are, but you're paying per tile, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right. And so, okay, so it's expensive. And I can see why some groups would be reluctant to share the data. Although, it, you know, I mean, they published a paper about it and the data is locked up. It makes, I mean, we've talked about this, about data, open data and science. So it, it's a bit inexplicable. Mm-hmm. But since they ghosted me, I do not even have an adequate explanation as to why they did that. So anyway, in right. any case, so, so I'm faced with a conundrum, right? Uh-huh. I could estimate building heights for the whole of Singapore either with LIDAR, which is restricted okay. information, or using, essentially what, what the NUS team uses is a form of photogrammetry, which is using two-dimensional images to reconstruct three dimensions, right? Mm-hmm. Photogrammetry has been around for a long time. I was looking at it on Wikipedia, and it's been a, it's a term that was coined in 1867. But in any case, photogrammetry, where you use two-dimensional imagery to reconstruct the third dimension. There, there are many ways of doing it. What Google Maps is doing with the 3D view these days is by taking... 2D images and then stitching them to form these polygons, these models. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's what you see when you open Google Maps and you go into 3D mode. Right. Okay. So none of those were available to me. So my this is actually not my first attempt to create a 3D building landscape of Singapore. Mm, I did no, this many not. years yep. ago and I gave up. <laughs> um, what okay. I did was essentially, okay, building heights are governed by the number of floors they have. And the floor to ceiling height has to exist within a certain range. <laughs> right? Okay. Your floor to ceiling height cannot be lower than two meters for very obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in general, it's about three meters. Yeah. Right? Because that's you know enough to accommodate even the tallest human being with some clearance space. Yes. So I think it was estimated that at least for HTB flats, the yeah. floor to floor height is 2.8 meters. Okay. So if you know the number of floors of every single HDB block 
you can, you can reliably, at least to a 5 to 10 meter precision, estimate the height of each HDB block. This right? 2.8 meters, right? Is that a specification or is that just a approximation? It's an approximation. Okay. Because, I mean, there will necessarily be differences between blocks uh, right. of different ages, right? Different type right. of construction, different contractors. There will be also some, you know, human error as well associated yeah. with these things. Probably, you know, from in situ casted HDB blocks, like the older ones to mm-hmm. uh, prefab units that are being installed, right. like the blocks that we see today, right? There will right. be some differences in, in this. But that's that's a technicality, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's a small difference no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually did that. You know, I literally <laughs> made a, a 3D map of all HDB buildings in Singapore by estimating this height. Another group at NUS did this as well from the School of Design and Environment. So I gave up also partly because I actually wiped my entire data set. And so I said, fuck it, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not pursuing this. I closed the, closed the window and never came back to it. But a group at NUS okay. did it using the exact same method. And so I took the data. And, you know, that group thankfully published the data. Okay. This is something I incorporated into what I'm doing, what I just done, right? Which is making a, a near complete 3D map of Singapore. Right. So that's one thing. Now, this approach works well for buildings which are fairly generic and uniform, but it runs into problems very, very quickly when you're starting to deal with commercial buildings and industrial buildings. Because there is a significant variance in floor height. Not just right, right. between buildings, but within the building. Right. So if I say, let's go to Tampines 1, right? Okay. Your first floor may be five meters tall, but your second floor onwards may be four meters. Right. Okay. For example, right? Hypothetically right. speaking. With industrial buildings, it's even worse because industrial building floor heights can range from four meters to 10 meters. Yeah. And it really depends on whether it's like light industry, heavy industry, they are going to have mm-hmm. very different... Or heavy vehicle parking. Yeah, the heavy vehicle parking is probably the one that yeah, is that's going to mess things up the most. Yeah. So this method works well in principle for fairly generic buildings, but you really run into problems when it comes to complex, or not even complex, but just non-residential buildings. Anything that right? is not uniform, right? Yeah. yeah. This again is the, we're coming, circling back again on this, what's rapidly becoming a major theme of this podcast, which is models. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Models and where they fail. Um, yep. Okay, so that's one approach. And it's an approach that I've incorporated this data set. Now, what the Singapore Land Authority has done in their beneficence and magnanimity is that they've actually cleaned up their LIDAR data mm-hmm. and they've created a map, a 3D map of Singapore, right? I, I was uh, going to ask about one this. One map 3D. Yeah. Yes. Because I've been playing around with this while we've been talking. And yes. this thing is wild. It's slow as shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's really slow, yeah. Because what they've done is that they have created, and this is another way of of modeling cities, right? I'll get to this at some point. It's that they've created models, like three-dimensional models for each and every building in Singapore. And that's a ton of work. Okay, that was going to be my question because from what I see, right, there's a little too much detail for this to be to be extrapolated. Right. <laughs> it's, is... not auto, it's not automatically generated. Each right. and every single model is handcrafted. Oh, it's God. It's hand-built. It's a ton of work. Which poor intern. <laughs> they probably have a whole team of people doing this. Okay, now yeah, this is yeah, the problem. Of course. Right? 
Yep. There are mistakes in the uh-huh. data set. Me having looked through the entire... I can literally say, I've looked through the entire OneMap 3D data set. I have literally okay. gone pixel by pixel to every single building. Right? Okay. So what I've done is I've taken literally the building heads of every single building available in that thing by hand because they don't have an API for pulling out this data. Well, they do, Surprise. but it's restricted. It's very restricted. Yep. Right? Because this wasn't the, the use case they envisioned for this data set. Yep. Academic research. Yeah. Which, I mean, we can spend a whole podcast episode on government data and its failings, but this is a big problem. Yeah. Right. I'm curious. So what was the use case they envisioned? Property developers. Real estate. Ah, makes sense. Okay. Right. So this was clearly not something that they expected would be the data set would be used for. And so I don't think they provided any tools or there are no easy tools for me to say, extract this layer into a GIS software and then mm-hmm. just, you know, ideally what I would be able to do is just extract this information into a GIS software in some format or other, overlay a, a grid, 100 mm-hmm. meter by 100 meter grid on it and then just calculate the mean building height or mean polygon height, right, f- for each square and that's by pixel. Right. That's it. Unfortunately, this wasn't provided for us so I literally had to go building by building by building by building. <laughs> Great. Uh, which leads to another problem with models. These are three-dimensional models. Yeah. Right. So these 3D models can accommodate, I mean, they're very powerful because they can accommodate non-uniform buildings. And by non-uniform, yes. I mean non-cuboid. Yes. Right. The assumption that I'm making when I'm making my data set is that I'm using what I call an extrusion model, which is I have a building footprint on the ground in two dimensions yep. and I extrude it a certain right. Z value away from the XY plane. Right. And that value is uniform for any given building. Yes. Ah. Is that I the see. case at all ever? No. <laughs> well. Really, right? Yeah. <laughs> Only a fraction of the buildings are true cuboids. Even your HDB blocks have heterogeneity of height. Yep. yep. Even worse for buildings with uh, pyramidal roofs. Yes. Triangular roofs. Right. I mean, the worst example of this is Singapore Polytechnic. Ha! Huh, I shall, I shall pay it a visit. avant-garde as <laughs> architect design when, Singapore Poly. Okay. <laughs> on this note, so when I say I shall pay it a visit, I mean on one on map Google 3D. Maps. Yeah, on one map oh, 3D. Oh. Okay, uh, I will go to Google Maps. If I, if I can. But, so this is interesting to me because in secondary school, we had a visit to the URA, the Urban Redevelopment Authority, right? And remember, they have a physical model of Singapore, right? With every building in Singapore. Yes. Like you can look at this model and be like, oh, that's my house. Right? And I remember on that visit, on that visit, our teacher actually pointed out the school Mm -hmm. and without giving away the name of the school, but it's very obvious if you hear the description, right? The school central building is round, mm-hmm. right? With a round cord in the middle. Yes. Right? And so she pointed out the building. A, quad and in a round cord, sorry. I know. I mean, there's no other way to put it. <laughs> there's no other way to put it. Yeah. So the teacher pointed it out and she's like, oh, but they filled in the center. Because, I mean... <laughs> So, okay, so the the way to describe it is if you're actually looking at it from the air, it's like a donut. Yes, a torus. Mm, I guess, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, Adona is a Taurus, but never mind. Yes. So in the URA physical model, yep. our school building was a cylinder. Yes. And our teacher expressed some dissatisfaction with this. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when I saw One Map 3D, my first thought was I want to find our old school building. Yes. And it's also pretty fun because I didn't just search for the location. I went exploring, right? Basically, like you mm. start in the CBD area and then I just was like, okay, can I walk my way to school <laughs> from here? <laughs> yeah. So it took yeah. a bit of work because the school is big for a school, but it's not that big for a... You're essentially looking for like four or five buildings out mm-hmm. of 109,000. And actually, now that I found it, I'm actually really impressed with the amount of detail. Yes. Because you can clearly see that there is a quad, a round quad, right? You can even actually almost see like, I don't know if this is an imaging error or what, but they seem to have done some kind of, you can almost see like roof shingles. Yes. So, I mean, they basically have combined 2D imagery. I mean, this is partly photogrammetric as well. They used 2D imagery and imposed it on the model, right? Right. But as you can see, just from the building to the right of that, the residential blocks, this is not perfect for all models. Yes. Some buildings have been particularly well modeled and other buildings have not. Yep. I mean, there is just to the right of it, just a bit to the east, there is a bunch of buildings that look like they have like pyramids on top. Yes. And so those are condos, private condos, and non-government buildings. Oh my god! Why construction sites look yes hilarious? Yes, yes. So, (laughs) so this is a really powerful way of representing the city, but it's really hard to build, and also really hard to maintain. And as you can see, this is still very much a work in progress. Right? There are some bugs in this data set, some of which are quite hilarious. Okay. If you can, I would like you to go to search for this building called the Quadrant. The Quadrant? I've never heard of it. 19 Cecil Street. Okay. Right. And if you zoom in, there is something rather unusual about this image. The Quadrant. Uh, What am I looking at? 19 Cecil Street. This is uh, downtown. I I know. I see it, but I'm also kind of struggling to figure out what building exactly. Okay, so Republic Plaza is just to the right of this quadrant called the quadrant, right? This building is a a quarter shape. Yep. Okay, I see it. Okay. Now, Look at the building across the road from it. What's wrong with this image? Building across the road. Sorry, I'm so not just in up a, and down. Okay, so um, I'm not in a great re- orientation for this. So. Okay, look from top down. How right? do I use your center uh, scroll wheel? Press it down and then use that to orient your look angle. Ah, yes. Okay, so Let's look see. top down, and so Republic Plaza, right to the left of that is a building that's a quadrant shape. Yep. And then look straight down from that. There's another straight building. Straight down, yep, okay. There's a quadrant shape as well. Uh-huh. Right? Now, these are two buildings that are both quadrant shaped, but one of them is the wrong model. <laughs> what happened here is a modeler got lazy, or maybe it was a mistake, and they duplicated the model for one building. Right. And they just used that for the other building. I the see. The building that's south of Republic Plaza is actually much shorter and it's much older. That's the real quadrant. And then they just used the model of the building in the north and copy pasta it over. Copy pasta. Okay, so the thing is, right, when I'm just looking at one map 3D, I don't know this because 
when I look at it, and if you know, if I'm not familiar with the area, or I'm not familiar with the building itself, because yes. this particular area is extremely dense. So yes. even if you're familiar with this with this area, it, you may not see this era. Because when I look at it, my impression is that it's a pair of towers. Yes, right. It right? could be sister towers. Yeah, yeah, but without the information that you just gave me, I would have no idea. And, you know, I mean, again, these are things that sometimes you pick up, sometimes you might miss. So there might be mistakes in my data set. Right. Human error. And it happens, right? Now, this is one possible error. This is a more egregious problem, but comparatively rare, I hope, as far as I can tell. Now, another more common problem, I, unfortunately, I don't have a good case study for this one, because, but there are a few. I think there's one at the pedicle at Duxton, is that <laughs> yeah, they didn't attach, no, they didn't attach the model to the ground, so it's floating about 10 meters off the ground. <sighs> <laughs> All right. So if you measure the height, you're going to get the true height plus 10 meters, right? And then right. there's also like, a, I think I mentioned earlier the problem of then what is the height that I record if a building has irregular, irregular profile, right? Right. So there are a few ways to get around this. Number one is I can split the polygon into individual components with uniform heights, but that's a lot of work. It is. It is a lot of work. Right. So what I the, my base polygon layer is from OpenStreetMap, which is a yep. community made familiar with it. Right. It's made by regular people. There are mistakes here and there. There are some buildings that have not been not been represented, but by and large it's about 93 to 97% accurate. Unfortunately, the polygons that they made are not designed strictly with height in mind. So if I, you know, okay. want to slice and dice a polygon, I will have to manually do it which I call arts right. and crafts. You know, you have to mm. manually use a cursor and slice the polygon. And that's a, a lot of work. So what I've done is I've taken a hybrid approach of really large buildings with fairly variable building heights. For example, is it Finance Tower? There's a, there's a building. I mean, the, the CBD is a classic example. Lots of really tall sort of skyscrapers, but the, the bottom skirt is much shorter, right? So you have to cut out the skyscraper polygon from the original polygon and then model that separately. Right now, the other alternative is that you just take. I mean, since I'm looking at building collisions, right? I don't mm -hmm. care about the roof. The roof is superfluous <laughs> to me. Right? right. So I will take the height of the tollest vertical surface, and then I'll use it as the building height. In any case, I'm averaging out this data across. You know, I'm pixelating the data to 100 meter by 100 meter pixels, so I can accept some level of imprecision. Because it'll be averaged out anyway. Makes sense, yeah. So, I mean, these are just some of the issues you get into in, into thinking about as you start to model these things, right? And then you get to the even more epistemological issues, which is, what is a building? <laughs> <sighs> well, okay. Is a gazebo or a pavilion a building? So we, I mean, in this particular case, right, <laughs> there is a useful answer, which is you care about bird building collisions. A building is in this model is anything that a bird can collide with. Any yes, but then what about things like La Pasa? <laughs> so, right. so legit question, what about it makes it different it's, from any other it's, building? It's a building, but it's not completely surrounded on all sides by wall. It's got, right. yeah, it's got passages through it. Right. Right. So you are assuming, again, an extrusion model is you're assuming that every single surface is right. filled. As you extrude it out. Then, okay. So, <laughs> by that definition, because... Okay, so this is an, an unsatisfactory answer. 
Because, right? There's no satisfactory answer, but okay. Yeah, okay. If you know that there is a close to zero chance of a bird building collision there, right? Or in, for example, if you say a gazebo, which has the same properties, right? I mean, La Pasa mm. is basically a humongous gazebo. With slightly thicker <laughs> pillars, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's more surface for, for a bird to collide with. Well, yeah. But if you know that the probability is close to zero, although how you would calculate mm. that is also tautological because... Exactly, right? You're, right, you're, yeah. you're already making an a priori assumption about your results. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Nonetheless, nonetheless, right? By <laughs> that definition... <laughs> By that definition, it would not be a building, right? But then again, you're also, you're coming down to the point of the map is not the territory, but except Uh in your case, the map is the territory. Yes. And then, of course, you have buildings that have, you know, freestanding buildings, but they have gaps inside them as well. So these things become extremely difficult to model if you're just using an extrusion-based approach, right? Mm -hmm. And in my case, because I'm doing this at the city scale, right, you know, looking top down, a -hmm. lot of these subtleties are very hard to model. And so you have to make certain liberties. So in my case, I have excluded to some extent gazebos, but La Passat I've included as a building. I've assumed that it's an extrusion-based building. Yeah. Is there a good reason for this? I mean... I'll find a way to justify it, but it's, it's difficult. Right, because uh, my favorite again, the George Box quote that all statisticians love: "All models are wrong, but some models are useful." Are useful, yeah. Right, and so how do you approximate a city in three dimensions? It really is a challenging issue, right? And so you know, actually, you mentioned the, the URA city gallery. So what I actually wanted to do was to just take it. Obviously, don't have the right iPhone, but go and borrow someone's fancy ass iPhone twelve Pro, and mm-hmm. then use a lidar scanner to s- do strip scanning of the model bit by bit. Right, but. Asking for permission and setting up the scanning system would have probably taken so much time that it would probably have not been worthwhile to do anyway. Right? Because, you know, number one, you have to get a permit. Number two, what you would ideally want to do is you want to set up a a frame around the entire URA building model and Uh then have some kind of motor to drive the the scanner in a linear fashion. Right? So you you don't get this sort of effect of handshake or hand wobble that might affect your LiDAR accuracy. Yeah, you basically want a machine to do it. Just like you kind of want a machine to actually do the modeling for you. It's basically, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the amount of time it would take to just do that is just stupid. So never mind. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, by the way, if you hear clicking on my end, what's actually happening is I'm trying to find Singapore Poly without typing in the... Oh, yeah. What that 3D is just impossible to use. Right. I'm trying to just like see if I can spot it. But it's a combination of unfamiliarity with the area. Plus, I mean, okay, in general, I'm just much more familiar with the east than with the west. Yeah. And so I'm just looking for any... (laughs) I'm looking for any uh, stadiums or, you know, running (laughs) tracks and then just being like, where is this? Okay, this is... This or NUS, yeah. This is hilarious. I just found ACS. I don't know which ACS this is, but they've actually (laughs) gone and put the ACS school logo on the building. Like, if you zoom in far (laughs) enough, you can can see... You can see the best is yet to be. (laughs) It does suggest that maybe one of the modelers may have some kind of uh, pedigree from ACS. Yeah, but I'm like, okay, that's an ACS. Isn't this also ACS? Like, what am I looking at? Why, there's why are there so ACSI many? and ACJC in immediate proximity to each other. Not this no, close, not, though. 
They're not literally next to each other. Yeah, they're not. They're not literally next to each other. I mean, I know that because my grandma ACJC, lived there. ACJC, AC International. I think there's AC International. That's it, could be international. it could be international. It could be international. Um. Well, I mean, that's in the right neighborhood. How are we for time? By the way, we need to wrap up. Okay. So, so in I- any case, okay. So yes, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> modeling buildings the primitive way, like I have. It's challenging. It's taken me the entire month of lockdown. We've been in lockdown for one whole month. This AC has a swimming pool. (laughs) I believe this is ACSI. Yes. Okay, go on. Then you're very close. So, (laughs) in the place like Singapore Poly would be especially challenging to model because, you know, they have all these globular buildings, all the claddings that I see the Singtel Tower. Oh, that, again, how would you model that with an extrusion model, right? You it's can't. A single, <laughs> it's a, you can't. Yeah. I mean, this, this building looks oh, like a one, beanstalk with leaves. The other one, really annoying building, is the interlace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. That piece of shit. <laughs> Let's actually put the interlace into... It's into, an award building building. Into the yeah. show it's, notes, it's, yeah. It's a, it's an architectural <laughs> marvel, but you know, from you know, a modeler's perspective, it is a you know, shitting nightmare. Do you know what the Wikipedia page says? Oh no. It says, it's noteworthy for its break from the typical tower design by resembling <laughs> Jenga blocks. Irregularly it, it, yes. stacked. Yes. Yep. Right? So it's, I mean, I have a, a deep and abiding respect for very creative and unconventional architects, but from a I modeler's perspective, I despise them. Pretty sure this here. is... Singapore Poly because I think I see Dover MRT. Right, okay, yeah. Who designed the interlace? Is it Woha? Uh, OMA, OMA, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, from... Uh, Ole Sheeran. And a construction site. I believe yes. this is Singapore Poly that I'm looking at, but it's okay. not that globular from what I see. It's no, the like, site facing the um, MRT, so that's the School of Media, I think. Right. Is fairly irregular. Ah, uh, right? I see the, it, the, I see it. It looks like a... Oh, what's the it okay? The way that I'm thinking of it is it's like the overlapping portion of a Venn diagram. <laughs> yes. Right. You know, fundamentally though, a lot of buildings that have very regular shapes still have a core that's tower that is your typical block. But the yeah. cladding or the, you know, I mean things like that weird curved condominium at Keppel, reflections at Keppel, uh, which looks okay. like you know, the buildings are curved, but essentially it's a curved cladding surrounding a cylindrical cuboid tower. Right. So the, right. the base of it is still... Yeah, it's still relatively modelable. Okay. But there are some buildings that genuinely defy this modelling technique. And actually, it becomes ext- like, like the Singtel Telecom Tower. <laughs> I, I was going to say, actually, the stadium, the national stadium. Yes. In one map 3D, Louise. it looks like... It looks like a bowl. Like a, yeah, an inverter bowl is probably the best description. I was like, it looks yeah. like the truncated portion of a... Of a globe or something. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it does bring out some really interesting questions. How do you simplify what is obviously a very complicated three-dimensional landscape mm-hmm. into a model? And right. what assumptions do you have to make? What sacrifices in the end really sacrifices do you have to make in order to to force fit the data, the raw data into a model? And so this is something I've been grappling with for the last month. And I have something, whether or not it's perfect, it's not perfect. Yeah, it will uh, be perfect. Sure. <laughs> it will never be, be perfect, but it's. I would reckon that it's by and large usable. There will be That's inaccuracies good. here and there, but for what it's worth, it's suitable for my purposes. And so that's what I've been working on for the last month. Hooray! <laughs> I mean, technically lockdown is lockdown. Heightened alert 
is lifted oh, geez, tomorrow, but I'm I'm kind of unsure whether it will actually be be lifted with the current right. situation. So well, we'll see. In any you, case. Yeah, in any case. We are going to wrap up this episode. So this is episode 25 of Monkey Mind. You can find the show notes at monkeymind.xyz slash 025. And we'll probably see you in like a month. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay, great. Till next time. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.